0: This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. In today's fast-paced world, how many times do we hear the phrase, I'm just one person, what do they expect of me? Or perhaps we've used that same phrase ourselves. Well, the truth of the matter is, we are living in a fast-paced world, and the demands on our time and talents are often limited. I know I have that problem, too, and... Sometimes it's annoying when people harangue me on getting a particular task done. I guess we've all been through that one time or another. I'm just one person. Are they expecting miracles? Which ties in pretty closely to our story for today. Just one person. Very busy. But what she was able to accomplish, well, one might say that it was pretty much out of this world. And I think it's a wonderful example of what just one person can do, starting out with really no assets to fall back on or a cushion from which to move forward, except an undaunted determination. But I'm getting ahead of my story. But before I start, let me repeat one of my personal and strong beliefs, and that is our saints of the church provide us with an example. Perhaps even more than that, they give us direction and examples on how we are to live, what we are called to do, and what really should be important in our lives and our priorities. That's why Agnes was so important with what she accomplished in her life. But let's start at the beginning. Agnes Bahatsu was born on the 26th of August 1910 in what we now know as the Republic of Macedonia. Her middle name was Gonchi, which in the dialect of that area meant rosebud. Perhaps that name was an omen of what was to certainly place her as a beautiful flower in God's heavenly garden. She was the youngest of the family, and her father died when she was just eight years old, and her mother then raised her as a Roman Catholic. As the years passed, she was both intrigued and fascinated with stories about the lives and exploits of the saints of the church, and, and found a great interest in the accomplishments of the missionaries of the church. One can imagine her visualizing herself as a missionary in those peaceful moments when she crawled into bed at night, seeing herself one day perhaps serving God as one of his missionary children. These dreams continued over the next six years until she reached the age of 18, and her dreams were no longer flights of fancy but now a reality as she left home to joined the sisters of Loretto with the ultimate goal of actually realizing her dreams of becoming a real-life missionary in the service of God. And so the time came when she left home to follow her dream. Agnes's life would change forever, and she would never again see her mother or sisters, and her name would change too, as a religious She had found great inspiration with the life of the little flower, St. Therese of the Lisieux, and the life of the little flower would be a motivating factor in her life, too. So it was only natural that she took the name Teresa as her own religious name, since Therese was also a patron saint of missionaries. Her religious order was expanding in the Far East— Particularly in areas in which English was spoken, and since she did not speak this new language, she was sent to an abbey in Ireland where she would become proficient in this English language before her actual missionary days would start. Being a Brighton enthusiastic young woman, her English became fluent and an easy second language, and so she was sent first in 1929 to Darjeeling near the Himalayan mountains in India, and from there to Calcutta, where in 1937 she took her solemn vows as she was teaching in a convent school and becoming known as Sister Teresa." Her dreams, fueled by the life of the little flower, were taking flight from imagination to a reality that would literally one day shake the world. Over the years, as she labored in the school, she was becoming more and more aware of the extreme poverty surrounding her, and this horror sapped the joy of what she was doing. And then to add to the misery of her surroundings, a famine struck with uncompromising ferocity to the city in 1943, drenching the town in misery, only to be exceeded by an outbreak of Muslim-Hindu violence three years later that added fuel to the horror of the area, creating an atmosphere of futility and terror. It had a horrifying effect on Sister Teresa— Actually, for 20 years, Teresa's life of serving others filled her with happiness and she was recognized for never shirking from difficult or unpleasant tasks. Perhaps it would be best to say that she was certainly noted for her hard work, her tenacity, and an outstanding ability to organize her work with clarity and precision, all for the greater glory of God and Her fellow man. But her life was to change forever on the 10th of September in 1946, as she was returning to the convent in Darjeeling from Calcutta for her annual retreat on a train. And as the miles passed by, a strange feeling was etching its way into her mind with what she would later describe as a kind of a call within a call giving her with what I imagined she felt as a message from God, urging her to move in a direction he had planned for her to follow. She would later recount that she felt as if God was giving her a special assignment, and that it was his wish for her to leave the comfort of her convent and to actually live among the poor, where it would be easier for her to carry out his will of actually providing care and help for the poorest of the poor. In her mind, this was not a request or a suggestion, but an order. She would say, quote, To fail would have been to break the faith, end of quote. So she felt it necessary to obey. This could not just happen overnight, it would take time and planning. Well, accepting her challenges as God's will, and to be more a part of the world around her, she became an Indian citizen, and she replaced the traditional habit she had worn as a sister of Loretto with a simple white cotton habit, or sari, with traditional borders of blue, perhaps in honor of the Virgin Mary, as she began her life and missionary work among the poorest of the poor, in 1948, when she actually moved into the slums and and started a school to help prepare children for a better life and a knowledge of God's love, a love which she shared with him. Not only was she trying to educate the underprivileged around her, much of her time, efforts, and care was also spent trying to ease the plight of the destitute and the starving who were everywhere surrounding her. Sister Teresa wrote in her journal about all the difficulties she was experiencing, writing not as a complaint, but as a record or blueprint that could be helpful in the future. She outlined what was necessary for her to personally do since she had no money or income. To help just herself would have been difficult, but that difficulty was magnified because she assumed the responsibility of begging just for the food and basic supplies she needed to move what would be her order forward and to serve all of those around her who were in desperate need where once she had lived in the comfort of a clean and orderly convent, although plain and simple, she was now existing in conditions of poverty almost beyond what would be our comprehension. One could only imagine the thoughts that raced through her mind, how simple but comfortable the monastery was, and then she would look where she was, And one could only imagine the terrible temptations she must have faced to say, well, I at least tried, and then go back to the monastery. But that was not in her nature or in God's plan. She would write in her diary again, Our Lord wants me to be a free nun covered with the poverty of the cross. Today I learned a good lesson. "'The poverty of the poor must be so hard for them. "'While looking for a home, I walked and walked "'until my arms and legs ached. "'I thought how much they must have ached in body and soul "'looking for a home, food and health. "'And then the comfort of Loretto, her previous convent, "'came to tempt me. "'She went on to say, "'You have only to say the word, "'and all of that will be yours again.' These were the thoughts that were going through her mind. The tempter kept on taunting her, taunting her of her free choice. And then she would say, My God, out of love for you, I desire to remain and do whatever be your holy will in my regard. I did not let a tear come. The end of her quote. Small in stature, but great in purpose. Teresa continued her mission with the realization that it would be impossible for her to make any impact by herself. The immensity of the problems were too great, the sufferings and poverty too widespread. She would need other helpers, other sisters, but she would, she would also need approval from Rome." In the slums, she visited the families, she washed the sores of the children, tended to an old man lying sick by the roadside, helped a woman who was dying, and seeing the enormity of need, well, she was joined by another woman, inspired by her devotion, who also helped Teresa, but she would need more helpers, many more helpers. Well, She started things in motion by writing an outline, citing the unmet needs and the crisis facing the poor and the underprivileged, along with the possible solutions that would help alleviate their sufferings by the future members of her proposed order. After evaluating her requests, Teresa was notified on the 7th of October in 1950 that permission from Rome had been granted, enabling her to create and recruit a congregation that would ultimately be known as the Missionaries of Charity her mission statement described their purpose as caring for the hungry clothing the naked becoming as the eyes of the blind caring for the homeless providing services for those with leprosy In addition, another part of their charism would be their loving attention to those who were being rejected by the mainstream of the country's population, which might be described as the unwanted, the unloved, and those for whom no one cared for whatever happened to them. I personally have the feeling that her mission was in a very substantial way following the direction of the Beatitudes. As the leader, if you will, of a new congregation, Sister Teresa became Mother Teresa. And as she went about her work almost singularly at first, she was noticed by other women who were attracted by her example, with a few expressing the desire to follow Christ with her and with her new order, And so she was joined by 13 members in Calcutta, and even with so few members, they were highly visible, moving through the slums and back alleys of Calcutta, caring and providing Christ's love to the victims of famine, alcohol, and all of those wretched conditions where everyday citizens would quickly look away. She would often meditate on that earlier train ride when she received the inspiration for her new order and purpose and the purpose would be christ's thirst for love and for souls and it became the everlasting foundation of her future through locutions and in her inner visions jesus was directing her to quote come be my light end of quote, as he revealed to her his pain at the neglect of the poor and his sorrow at those who did not know him and did not know he cared. And it was clear to her then exactly what Jesus was asking her to do, to radiate his love for souls. Well, as time passed, more women joined Mother Teresa in her white sari, trimmed in blue, to follow her example of caring for the poorest of the poor, regardless of where they were. She was horrified at the numbers of people with diseases of every kind who were literally dying on the sidewalks and in the slums of Calcutta where their remains would be picked up by carts and wagons as if they were just so much garbage. So she approached the city leaders begging for space. And with the assistance of some of the Calcutta officials, she was given the use of an abandoned Hindu temple, which she renamed the Home of Pure Heart as a home for the dying, where those terminally ill and abandoned souls would be able to die with dignity and receive the last rites of their faith, whether they be Christian, Muslim, Hindu, Catholics, or whatever. The missionaries of charity, meeting more needs, were able to open a home which they called the Home of the Pure Heart, for those victims suffering from the ravages of leprosy. And as time passed again, more and more women were flocking to also become members of the missionaries of charity. Their numbers were growing by leaps and bounds, mainly due to the example and dedication of this Mother Teresa. She was like a magnet, not only in attracting other young women to become members of her order, but also attracting children, who were orphans and had no place to live or sleep except in the back alleys of the slums. So, as the missionaries and children were tremendously overcrowded, Another first was added in 1955, when she opened the Children's Home of the Immaculate Heart, dedicated as a home for orphans, and the homeless youth, well, where they would be cared for, as the name implied, with a loving heart. And soon the news of what was being accomplished in the slums and back alleys of Calcutta was starting to spread worldwide and contributions and various kinds of aid was finding its way to the missionaries of charity and this little sister in Calcutta. And by the early 1600s, Mother Teresa and her missionaries of charity were opening hospices, orphanages, and sanctuaries for the homeless, the dying, and the lepers, to name just a few, in facilities all over India, and the numbers of the little missionaries of charity continued to grow under the guidance of Mother Teresa. In the 1960s, Mother Teresa began to expand to meet other unmet needs on a global basis as she sent five sisters to continue their efforts, this time in Venezuela. Once the order had stepped beyond the borders of India, the order was now growing by leaps and bounds, led by a very small woman in body, but very large in the service of God this little Mother Teresa. New homes and programs were to follow in Rome, then Tanzania and Austria, and in the 1960s, followed in the next decade by other houses in the United States, as well as other countries in Asia, as well as Africa and Europe, literally dozens of countries. Mother Teresa seemed to have a knack of speaking, such as a simple comment, do not wait for leaders, do it alone, and do it person to person. And speaking of her quotes, one of my very favorites is when she said, I am a little pencil in the hand of a writing god who is a love letter to the world. While well, not content with her Missionaries of Charity, we mustn't forget that she founded a brother organization, if you will, known as the Missionary of Charity Brothers in the early 60s, followed in the 70s with a contemplative branch of the Missionaries of Charity. As if these activities were not enough, She founded a number of other lay missionaries of charity with membership for both Catholics and non-Catholics alike. And to cap this all off with uh, Father Joseph Langford joining in her activities by creating what was known to be the Missionary of Charity Fathers which would join with the missionary of Charity's sisters, combining the vocations of the two with the addition of the ministerial priesthood. With an organization that now literally stretched around the entire world, Mother Teresa's travel schedule had her perpetually in motion, even though she would always be less than in good health. But wherever she went, Her presence would be magnetic, and she would work wonders to serve all of God's children. For example, let's look at the siege of Beirut in the early 1980s. The battles raged, and the bombs were blasting as the Israeli and Palestinian forces were fighting it out without giving an inch, as so many innocent citizens were caught in the middle, not to mention the crossfire, and a group of children in the line of fire. Well, the military leaders were not able to reach any type of agreement, but that didn't stop Mother Teresa. Communicating, as only she could do, with the military leaders of both sides, this little nun was able to broker a temporary stop to the hostilities, and accompanied by a few Red Cross workers. She traveled through the fighting zone to rescue 37 children trapped in a hospital that was right in the line of fire, and the 37 little patients reached the safety of a distant hospital, where their care was continued. Her successes in a muddled world were not just in the Middle East. She was able to expand her order in a myriad of projects in various communist countries where they were successfully involved in meeting the needs of the disadvantaged. What the world wasn't generally aware, her missionaries of charity all also helped care for, for the victims of radiation from the Chernobyl nuclear catastrophe. By 1997, Mother Teresa answered that oft-quoted phrase, what can one person do? Well, just for example, she was the one person who loved. She was quoted once as saying, if you judge people, you have no time to love them. And perhaps that may have been the secret of her success. It wasn't the enormity of the task, it was just a task with love as the main ingredient. And as we look at what this one little sister accomplished, we have to recognize her fragile health. She had a heart attack while she was around 73, and still another about six years later when she received a pacemaker, but she still battled heart problems and other difficulties like pneumonia and God had given her an assignment, and like any good soldier, she would not give up. Oh, She offered to resign as head of her order, but the nuns voted for her to remain. Her work was recognized with the Nobel Peace Prize, and instead of a stately dinner ceremony, asked that the money that would be spent for that go instead to the poor and needy of India, proclaiming that earthly rewards were important only if they helped the world's needy. She was asked at the time, what can we do to promote world peace? Well, her answer was simple and to the point. And if you really think about it, her wisdom was very accurate. She said, go home and love your family. Think about it. Wouldn't the world be better if that's what we all would do as our first priority? We wouldn't have time for anything else that would destroy the faith in the world. She was the recipient of many national and international awards, which truly made her a citizen of the world who simply had a job to do and did it. She singled out abortion as the greatest destroyer of peace in the world. And single stories about Mother Teresa would fill volumes, and many are funny and show her, well, the real person that she was. I asked my friend Vicki Schmidt, who knew Mother Teresa, for some of her favorite recollections, which she shared with me. For example, Mother Teresa was boarding a plane out of Dulles Airport. She was carrying a very large cross someone had given her to take to another house she was opening. She boarded the plane carrying the large cross and sat down in her seat holding it on her lap. The flight attendant approached her and suggested that since there was an empty seat in first class, that mother move to that seat and the stewardess would secure the large crucifix and strap it into her coach seat. Mother replied, No, it is Jesus who must go to first class, not me. And so it was. She also told me the story that Brother Jeff general servant of the, of the Missionaries of Charity brothers, shared with her a few years ago. It was not uncommon for well-known people to go to Calcutta and want a meeting with Mother Teresa. Sometimes the encounters would be sincere and, and simple, but other times it was obvious that they were merely looking for a photo op with Mother Teresa that they would use for their own publicity. One time, actress Gina Lola Brigida arrived with an entourage. Mother Teresa very patiently greeted her with cameras flashing but very little depth to the conversation. When the photos stopped, Miss Lola Brigida left, and mother stepped through the door, closed it, and leaned back against it and said, Well, if that doesn't make me a saint, nothing will. Well, As we all know, the beauty of the life that was Mother Teresa came to a close when she was called home to heaven in 1997. Less than two years after her death, in view of Mother Teresa's widespread reputation of holiness and the favors of being reported for her intercession, Pope John Paul II permitted the opening of her cause for canonization. And on the 20th of December... In 2002, he approved the decrees of her heroic virtue and miracles. She was beatified on October 19, 2003, on the road to sainthood. But what did she leave behind? What were a few of the achievements she achieved during her lifetime, other than helping relieve the suffering of her brothers and sisters in God? What did she leave? Well, There were 610 missions operating in 123 countries around the world by 2007. There were 5,000 nuns worldwide as members of the Missionaries of Charity, plus about 450 brothers, not counting the priests. And the numbers of people she has touched, well, how many stars are there in heaven? We can only guess. But undoubtedly, if you look up toward the brightest stars in the sky, surely one of them will be a little nun known as Mother Teresa, standing very close to the altar of God as an example of what one person can accomplish with his help. The question is, what will we accomplish This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.